All right. Hello. How, uh, welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider, this week with Alex Selsky. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Alex Selsky, a senior advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel Victory Project, join us this week to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Selsky will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Alex Selsky. No, oh, sorry, Alex, you're muted. Yes, yes, sorry. Okay, Stacy, thank you very much. And a good evening from Jerusalem to all our viewers and listeners and happy Independence Day of the State of Israel. 75 years, you know, we're very, very young. You know, my father is 70, and I told him today that look at the country, looked so good. So you are, you know, you're very, very young. So um, as we definitely know, Independence Day is a very, very happy day, days of happenings and days of, uh, you know, having barbecues. So we're all just back from barbecue and, uh, a, Beach of uh, Herzliya, my family. Um, so uh, our topic today is actually the, um, you know, the current situation uh, in Israel, and Israel continues to be politically divided. Um, and we will we'll speak about that, and then about the fact that this is a domestic issue, not a policy, international issue, and we'll try to answer the question of what's next. What's next as on Monday, uh, the Knesset is coming back for summer session. And the biggest question is, was what what's next with the judicial um, reform and the split and the argument and the negotiations and judicial sorry, reform and the negotiations and what will be, uh, you know, the next few months, will we, have a compromise? Will we um, stay with a stable government, etc.? So, uh, first of all, I would like to say that first of all, we did have an Israel Insider webinar for two weeks, not for a week, and um, these two weeks were actually the most, you know, touching and most uh, sensitive. In, in 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 our national identity because uh, last week we had the holocaust remembrance day yesterday we had a remembrance day where at which we uh, remember uh, our soldiers who fell in uh, the wars of israel and the victims of terror um, including the civil victims and as you definitely know, immediately after the uh, Remembrance Day, we have the Independence Day. So uh, the political, you know, division and this uh, uh, political tension within the society was very much felt the last week before the Remembrance Day, uh, because um, many families of uh, terror victims asked. Uh, the politicians not uh, not to arrive to the uh, cemeteries, to the uh, military cemeteries at the Remembrance Day. Now, 
you know, that was a very outstanding, you know, symbol of, of all the tension that we have because this is so unusual. You know, the Remembrance Day always is the day of unity and the days when we don't have political splits and we don't have political arguments. It's always, you know, the Holocaust Remembrance Day and the Remembrance Day, it's always out of politics. And for the first time, I think I remember um, we had, you know, families saying we don't want to see politicians. Now uh, I think it's it, it was not about you know against the, any politician. Definitely, I think it was um, um, uh, it was toward the uh, coalition, and uh, and 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 every again every side tried to you know take advantage of this again of this tension. You know, one side said that. You know um, how shame that you know these are the coalitional leaders that you know the public doesn't want to see at the cemeteries, and the opposite, you know, the coalition leaders said that you know how shame that the opposition is taking advantage. But a um, couple of days before the day of uh, remembrance, uh, it was a common call. Uh, United call by the Prime Minister Netanyahu, head of opposition Lapid, a, a head of Amachanem um, Amlachti Party, Benny Gantz, um, uh, and by the President, a united call to you know to keep the politics outside the cemeteries and a call to have a united Remembrance Day and Day of Independence. And I think it definitely worked because after all, we didn't see really much incidents during the uh, Remembrance Day. Couple of, you know, I think relatively small incidents, one of them and maybe the biggest, which made noise very, um, uh, in expected way, it was the uh, visit of um, Ben Gvir, Minister Ben Gvir, in uh, the cemetery in, in Beersheba, where he went. And uh, during his speech, he was cursed, and some of the families of the victims uh, of the soldiers, you know, cursed him and and, uh, and shouted at him. And he said, you know, let them shout. They definitely have the right. But overall, it was not something, you know, outstandingly loud or, or, or violent. We didn't see any violence. So it, generally speaking, it, it was much more uh, united than we could expect. So uh, I think that we passed it in a very good way. And overall, I think, and not only I think, I think that much of this tension and much of the expectation for this tension was exaggerated and, you know, and uh, um, exaggerated, you know, inflated by both sides and definitely by the media. After all, I think, and I hope, you know, to think also, and I hope to convince everybody and myself as well that this tension is much more seen in the 
media and in the political you know arena but within the society these splits and these tensions are much less felt and much less seen and i think that you know if you you know, in times of COVID, you know, we had a joke that if you don't want to have, uh, if you don't want to know about COVID or if you don't want to see COVID, you know, just throw your TV uh, out. So I think that much of it we can say about the, you know, the political tension. I think that it's within the society, we, we still are very, very united. And I think we felt that now uh, during the um days these you know sacred days for us the remembrance day and the independence day and uh, also we didn't see some you know outstanding uh, incidents in the uh, ceremonies and the official ceremonies everything went well everybody spoke about it everything spoke about the need of unity the president and the prime minister and all the you know leaders of, of the political system and the parties I also think that you know, for for for, for large extent, I think that um, many of the leadership understood how big can be the damage of this split and the tension. Definitely, when everybody spoke about the um, damage and the security, um, as our enemies, you know, look at us and they think that, you know, we are weak and that they can hurt us and they can, you know, take the opportunity of these tensions. But, you know, as uh, as uh, Naftali Bennett said that very, very correct in, in, in correct in one of his interviews in the United States, he went to, to give a few interviews and he said, you know, we, we're a Jewish state, you know, Jews are people of debate we definitely are people of debate we have so many jokes about it you know as for example in a in a village where two jews you have to have you know three synagogues because one synagogue that the second doesn't go to the first where the sorry the second synagogue where the first doesn't go to the first synagogue where the second doesn't go to and the third synagogue that both don't go to okay so yes we're jews and we we debate and we argue, it doesn't mean that we're not united. You know, Jews were always debating and political tensions were, you know, in 60s before the uh, uh, Six Days War and definitely in 30s uh, and, and for all the histories. So I definitely think that is the situation. However, however, definitely we can say that these, you know, uh, uh, calm down is because the negotiations on the reform and the promotion of the reform is at the moment on hold. So uh, maybe everybody is just, you know, waiting to see what's going to happen. We saw, by the way, during these days, all the time, we saw the uh, protests protests and we see and we saw you know protests uh, in front of uh, next to you know all the formal ceremonies but it wasn't something outstanding but again definitely maybe everybody's you know waiting on on low start to see what's going to happen in may because on monday the upcoming monday 
the Knesset is coming back for the summer session, meaning that the legislation can be started and can be uh, progressed again. But I don't think, you know, continuing to the question, what's next? Um, I don't think that in May we will see much of a progress because um, the government and the coalition have to pass the budget. The government already approved the budget and now the Knesset must approve the budget and they voted for the budget in first reading. I remind you that in Israeli legislation process, you need three readings, three votings of uh, the Knesset to, uh, you know, to, to, to complete the procedure of uh, legislation. Uh, it, it still means that much of, of a, the legislation progress is about ahead of us. And I also want to remind you that a, a major a argument is within the negotiations on the budget as the ultra-Orthodox parties a, a negotiate and demand to a, have the, a, the correction of the law concerning their um, uh, their um, um, the army service to be part of the budget that has to be passed now within May. And there is still a very big argument on that as they want to lower the age of exemption from the military service from 26 to either 23 or 21 even. And this is still in negotiations. So this can be a very big issue. And if the budget doesn't pass until the end of May, the government by law is, you know, we, we go to next elections. So they have to, if they want to survive and they want to have a stable government, they must put aside the reform in order to pass the budget within May. Uh, and I expect that that's what they will do. So we are, uh, apparently we'll be back to the fight over the reform in June, July. Um, until then, let's see how the argument on the budget and the argument on the, uh, on the military service, military reform of, of the uh, ultra-Orthodox uh, uh, Jews, ultra-Orthodox ultra parties will pass and how it will end and it will definitely uh, you know, have implications on the reform. And also let's see, you know, if the security crisis is not over as, you know, many speak about a possible operation and maybe even kind of a war because our enemies uh, might definitely try to take advantage of, of, as they see, as they think that our arguments and debate, as I said before, is kind of a weakness. And, uh, um, and we also see that many, you know, many of our rivals and our enemies, you know, get a backing from China, backing from uh, Iran. You definitely know that Syria, uh, you know, gets into normalization slowly, but definitely gets progress in their 
relations with the United Arab Emirates and even Saudi Arabia and Hamas delegation visited Saudi Arabia. All that definitely can can you know can have implications. So that's what what may um, can bring us. So uh, this this is what's next. And I understand that I cannot go too much into details as we already uh, finished the first part. So now let's uh, try to you know to 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 get into details during the questions. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So the first question is from David Levine asking his two questions. Uh, first one is, might the current unrest finally lead to a long overdue constitutional, constitutional convention so that Israel may join other Western democracies by having such a document? Very good question and very wishful thinking, which I think Everybody who wants a stability for the state and for the political system definitely prays for. But, you know, nothing is new under the sun and the Israeli uh, uh, democratic system uh, is always, you know, consists of parties that think about their narrow interest. So uh, I don't see that this coalition is... Uh, different from many previous ones and that it will want to risk their ability to you know maneuver and pass laws as they want and you know the proof of it is that they wanted to uh, uh um, you know to uh, to have a um, legislation that can you know overcome uh, the Supreme Court in in a majority of 61, which is the minimal, minimal, minimal majority, which tells us that they don't want stability, they want control of themselves. So, uh, 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 dear David, thank you for your wishful thinking. I don't see, I don't see, unfortunately, that this government will want it. Now, if it will not be forced I, I I don't think we're there um I I don't know what must happen to force the coalition to do so uh, I'm I'm more pessimistic about that than optimistic thank you his second question is might the current crisis finally lead to a requirement that all Israelis including religious tourists scholars be required to do some kind of national service to heal the rift between the religious and secular? Interestingly, you know, many, many think that the fact that ultra-Orthodox parties are so strong in this coalition that they will force the coalition to give maximum exempt. But interestingly, look what's happening. I... You know, th this is my view, and I read it already in some uh, analysis. That actually, you know, if we, if really the 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 law that will pass now will lower the exemption from the service to twenty one, from twenty six, what will happen is that more and more young ultra orthodox will integrate into the uh, labor market. And actually, that will, uh, I think, um, will cause faster integration 
within the labor force and within the society. And even if now in this reform, uh, they will not demand or they will not pass or they will not agree upon an alternative service because they will not agree on a full military service for ultra-Orthodox by the very simple reason that the army doesn't need them all. It's not that we all want them. The army says we don't need them all, but we do need them and we do want and must have them within the, you know, a governmental alternative service. By the way, I must tell you that ultra-Orthodox generally are very, very involved usually more than any other else in social welfare um, organization that helps, you know, that help to needy, help to um, uh, uh, ill children, and et cetera, et cetera. And the biggest, you know, non-governmental organization in Israel uh, is Ezer Mitzion that helps to the children that are uh, have cancer is uh, managed and, and budgeted by ultra-Orthodox. So they definitely, you know, and, and many of the services, again, non-governmental services uh, toward, uh, you know, in, in a field of welfare and, and uh, healthcare, like Yad Sarai, are ultra-Orthodox. So they do a lot, but they do that without, you know, without government regulation. I think that even if they now will not have this regulation and service, the very fact that more and more ultra-Orthodox will go and integrate into the um, market, the, the labor market uh, will lead very soon to the fact that they will just integrate into the society. So it, it, it will happen. It will finally happen. I don't see that it cannot happen because after all, we know, you know, I taught, I teach for 10 years in Adassa Academic College in Jerusalem. And for two years, I was teaching ultra-Orthodox class. Uh, and after two years, we didn't have more students because their rabbis didn't let them. Now, we had many, many researches and many lectures about what's happening with the academic um, academic studies within the ultra-Orthodox ultra society. And we understood that 80%, 85% are willing to learn, to work, to make a living, and the majority and the minority is, is stopping them. So slowly but surely, this will happen. They will integrate, keeping, keeping their way of life, but integrating into the workforce and into the alternative service in more and more army as well, I'm sure. Thank you. Uh, Eric asks, how unique is it that some of the ministers in Netanyahu's government have not served in the military? Have not, sorry, I didn't hear you. Uh, how unique is it that some of the ministers in Netanyahu's government have not served in the military? How unique? Well, ultra-Orthodox, as you know, who are the major partners of Netanyahu in his all his coalitions, actually. Um, you know, historically, for last you know, few decades, they they as I just spoke about it before, they uh, didn't serve and 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 prevented their public from serving in the Israel army. So many of them, like their leader, yes, Itzhak, uh, um, 
forgot his, sorry, forgot his name, um, uh, the, the, the Minister of Housing, uh, he didn't serve. So by the way, that was part of the critics during the Remembrance Day that people said, you know, don't send us the ministers that didn't serve. Um, and, and the other minister who made, you know, the biggest noise about not serving is, uh, is uh, Benvir, who, uh, by the way, sued uh, someone who claimed that he, you know, he uh, didn't serve because, uh, you know, he, I don't know exactly how you say English, but, but, but he, you know, ran out of service, okay? And he sued him because he said that he wanted to serve, but the army didn't take him. Uh, but still he didn't, okay? How unique that is, well, for ultra-Orthodox, it's not unique. For those in the Zionist uh, religious camp, this is kind of unique, actually. And Benvir is a unique politician, I think, in, in, in you know, in many, many uh, manners. So, yes, and that's, you know, big criticism from the opposition and also within, I think, within the, you know, the right-wing camp about the fact that, you know, many of the, of the leaders, you know, in, in such a sensitive, in terms of security, at times, you know, didn't didn't serve. But again, I, I need to tell you here that, you know, we already saw the generals are not the best defense ministers and are not the best strategists in terms of security because, you know, I always say, and I'm, you know, I'm doing uh, reserve service and I'm an officer, you know, and I'm proud of IDF, but, you know, Knowing how to uh, use force, an army is an organization that uses force. But knowing how to use force is not the only thing you must know to provide security. Security is much more than that. Security is about you know understanding policy and politics and economy and spirit. And not every, you know, sometimes we saw already that people who didn't come from, you know, be, from being generals were not bad ministers of security at all, like Victor Lieberman, Moshe Arendt, uh, uh, Peretz, okay, and uh, and many other. By the way, Shamil, who who well, he was in, uh, you know, in. Uh, um, in Etzel and then in uh, in Mossad, but he didn't come from an army, and from the army, and he wasn't a general. So uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's not necessarily that you have to, you know, be in the army to 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 know how to deal with security. And some people say, by the way, that one of the most effective ministers within the cabinet is uh, Derry. Okay, I don't know. Some say. Well, thank you. Uh, JL asks, was the decision by Netanyahu not to speak at the conference of major Jewish organizations seen as a caving in the anti-reform radicals? Two. You know, much was discussed uh, why Netanyahu didn't come. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. You know, he definitely didn't say, uh, didn't tell us that, you know, the true reason. I definitely think that it might be 
see that he knew that it's going to be a very uh, big uh, criticism on his uh, uh, on his uh, policy, and he wouldn't feel at home as he usually did feel. You know, and Netanyahu was always a superstar among American Jewry, by the way, Orthodox and Reform, and both sides. And uh, today, it's not the same. You know, today I think that all the liberal Jews in the United States are very much against the government. Um, and they express that freely. And they, many of them speak about, you know, using American politics and their ability to, you know, to, uh, to, 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 to demand pressure on Israel within American politics. And I think that Israeli leadership, not only, by the way, in coalition, but also in opposition of them, don't like it. I think we have a very, very, you know, I think historical split and very, very unfortunately um, a crisis in our relationship with the liberal Jewish communities in the United States. But I do agree that, you know, we don't, uh, we have to, you know, we have to solve, we Jews and we Israelis, we have to solve our problems within us, within us, among us, and we don't need to ask others to press on us or on some sides of us, you know, to, uh, to, to solve these problems. Absolutely. And thank you so much. That brings us to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you for taking time to update us this week. Or Alex, sorry. <laughs> so used to that all right for our viewers and listeners please join us friday at 1 p.m eastern for a webinar with sam westrop discussing americans versus europeans guess who deals better with islamism thank you all for joining us and i hope you have a wonderful day Bye. thank you